taste is enough for me, but I must tell you, uh, the sound people are going to, I was so caught up in the singing this morning and the, the nature of that song and content of the song. Uh, all I need is Christ spiritually, but my sound people need me to have my microphone uh, for sound folk purposes. So, Gordon, could you bring me up my lapel mic and uh, I will set their hearts at ease. And uh, set yours at ease too so you can actually hear me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For those of you who are guests with us tonight, we journey through one book a year uh, by God's grace. And uh, if there's smaller portions of Scripture, uh, sometimes we'll cover two. Uh, but this year, God laid in our hearts to focus on the book of 2 Corinthians and been a blessing to my heart. I believe it's been a blessing to our hearts collectively. And uh, our text this morning is just going to be verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5. For those of you again who are joining us, uh, chapters 8 and 9 of this letter constitutes the second major portion of the epistle. And you can go back on our website, if you wish, uh, to pick up from the beginning, both by audio or video, um, what we realized in the first seven chapters. Uh, these two chapters that constitute the middle portion of this book really concentrate on how God's grace instructs us in sharing and giving. Remember, chapter seven was all about the continued development of Christian relationships, we looked at all those virtues and all those verses, and it was a blessing. So as this church begins to allow the grace of God to heal her, that same grace is pointing her feet back in a gospel direction, because the church is nothing if it doesn't have strong relationships and a forward gospel direction. So grace is the tutor for the church of Corinth and how to handle their relationships, to be healed, to care for one another, so as the church is mutually giving and sharing to one another, it'll be able to give unto gospel progress. And for those of you that have been in the Lord Jesus the longest, this is the easiest but most profound truth to forget. The church exists for Christ. Amen. All we have in our is Christ and his mission. So your relationships need to be strong in the church. If we don't have chapter 7, we really don't enjoy chapters 8 and 9 because the grace of God continues to be our tutor on how to share and how to give, to care for each other for a cause. For a cause. And the church is nothing without the cause of Christ. Amen. She's just a body that goes through religious motions for absolutely no eternal good. And that's what we call religion. The church exists for eternal purposes. And so really, as we look again at chapters 8 and 9, we're going to be looking at 10 spiritual principles, virtues that 
The grace of God instructs our hearts to live among one another for gospel purposes. And it's in relationship to giving and sharing. Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out into the Galilean ministry, freely you have received. Now freely give. That's the nature of grace as we studied the last time we were together. It's its nature. It's free and it's generous. We've experienced that in salvation in Christ. As we have known the nature of grace and salvation, so we supernaturally, naturally respond according to its nature. Grace is generous in giving and sharing, and in Christ, that should become our nature too. One author said the Macedonian Christians knew the joy of being the recipients of God's free grace. And in that joy they gave freely. Because of their own situation, what they gave was probably quite a small amount. But measured against their extreme poverty, it represented a wealth of liberality. Now, we saw that last week. Paul's writing to the Corinthians to pick up the collection again where they had left off the year before because they were sidetracked, remember last week, from religious unbelief within the church. Pick up again the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And if you need a kind of like a personal example, someone who's modeling what it means to be um, students, really, of the grace of God in relationship what it means to truly give and share. Let's take a look at these Macedonian people. We discovered who these Macedonian people were last week in our first principle of 10 in relationship to giving. Grace teaches us to share and to give. Remember last week's principle? Right. Regardless of our circumstances. The grace of God is impartial, so therefore the grace of God is not partial to your circumstance. It teaches everyone, whether of wealth or of nothing, the same principle, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Okay. It says last week as we studied, and in a great ordeal of their affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed and the wealth of their liberality. We'll pick up there as we move forward into our second principle. You know what liberality means there, folks? It just simply means simplicity. It means single-mindedness. It's a big word. It's translated that way by a lot of translations. But all it simply means is it was simple for them to give. The grace of God compels you to allow sharing and giving to just be something simple, not hard. And then it also represents the idea of single-mindedness, of determination, simply determined. God's grace frees our heart to make giving not hard. It always pains me a bit when I hear pastors explain that, that genuine sharing and giving ought to hurt a little bit. Now I get that. I get that. How do you know, how do you know when you're really sacrificing? Well, if you look, remember last week there was this there was this sacrifice that was coupled with an attitude. And the attitude was joy. Do you remember that? 
that's something supernatural going on that grace does. It teaches us that sacrifice and joy hold hands. Can it be a difficult thing to go through? I suppose, but the believer doesn't feel it. Why? Because remember the nature of our Savior and his work, person and work. Hebrews 12, who for the joy set before him did what? He endured the cross. That's a supernatural reality, folks. That's, that's not a virtue that you can conjure up in your own humanity. Only God can make something of this nature joyfully sacrificial. So no, you're not going to find it in yourself. But if you understand the Macedonian mindset, they gave simply with single-mindedness. It's fascinating. Generosity to the Christian is tutored by grace to keep giving simple and not complex. It becomes second nature to us, not something difficult to figure out. And it comes with a load of determination, simplicity, and single-mindedness. Right? And I love the amens. Let's get him started early. Amen? I don't know. I just, that just doesn't bother me. I love kids. Amen. Suffer the little ones to come unto us. Rick, there's your progeny right there. Right? There you go. Goes back a couple weeks for those of you that were here in the service a couple weeks ago. The Macedonians did this with joy. Being joyfully generous is founded in grace. What, what makes it even more a divine reality, it's demonstrated in our lives. And grace functions this way, not merely when our circumstances are good, but when they are most dire. Right? So grace compels our hearts to impartially give and to share. And this morning, I'd like to continue by understanding our second virtue which is simply this. Grace compels our hearts to share and give with a proper disposition. With a proper disposition. So grace instructs us to impartially give and dispositionally give with a wise attitude. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we as expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Now, folks, it is my desire always to uh, conclude a particular point on a sermon, uh, but we have two uh, little mini-sermons to come in a baptism after this that are going to be equal blessing to your heart. So we're going to dive into, right, this portion and uh, we're going to leave you at the bottom till the next time we get together but the bottom's a really good place to be when it comes to God's grace God's grace teaches us there uh, as well right. so verses 3 through 5 is one Greek sentence in the original language it's, it's one sentence and it has one main verb in that sentence and it's found in verse 5 and this not as we had expected, but they first gave. There it is. 
they first gave. You say, well, I saw that earlier. Well, it's, an, it's italicized, right? It was added in good measure by translators for ease of reading. Let me explain. I remember in 1986, I was sitting as a senior. I met a Christian school. We were in the lunchroom. And uh, there was, a, I think, this area's largest earthquake that hit on that particular day. And uh, uh, our school at that point was just at the conclusion of building a new gymnasium. And the rumble from that earthquake was, was quite a rumble. <laughs> we actually thought that as they were putting in the new HVAC system, that somehow that there was a, an explosion, a gas explosion in the new gymnasium. So the rumble happened, and we were all shocked, and the first reaction we had was to get up from our line and start running down the hallway to see who we could help, only to find a, an intact gymnasium with intact workers who were just as stunned as we were by this apparent explosion. There were aftershocks that came the next day only to find out that the epicenter for that earthquake was miles out into Lake Erie. It was felt in Canada and even adjacent states. No harm was done. There was a few cracks left in the walls of that new gymnasium that are still there to this day when I visit it. But grace is like that thunderous quake only in a spiritual sense when it comes to how it instructs our hearts to sharing and giving and generosity. Its epicenter is found in Christ. All we are is Jesus Christ. Remember the hymn? And its influence reverberates throughout our lives with change. And in our context, grace even thunders continuously. It's aftershocks in our lives until Jesus comes in relationship to sharing and giving. How do we know that? Because the main verb in verse 7, all right, is what we call an aorist tense. All that simply means is that when Paul writes that word, you gave, there was a time in their life that grace taught them to begin caring for the people of God and the progress of the gospel. And the Macedonian people, regardless of their circumstance, had not stopped giving since that time. Now remember, the Corinthian people had done that, but then they stopped for a year. And Paul is saying that's not what grace ever teaches anybody, regardless of their circumstance. Remember last week? There's not a time we stop sharing and giving because it's tight, or it doesn't fit our budget. Or Pastor Tim, you just really don't know how hard my circumstances are. Grace just keeps giving. And that's how it tutors us to do the same. And it does so with a proper disposition. Now, the verb is kind of like the epicenter of this grace quake, if you will. The rest of the phrases in verses 3 through 5 really demonstrate for us the positive spiritual aftershocks of how grace first impacts your life in Christ. When you truly understand what it means to be born again, and you truly understand how that's changed your life for now and eternity, and you understand that grace always operates, then it will always influence your life in every way, particularly in sharing and giving, 
regardless of your circumstances, in the way verses 3 through 5 explains it. Now let's go through each phrase one by one and get through as many as we can here right, in the next five minutes. Okay. So, grace's teacher-like nature commences to instruct us at salvation if we'll be good enough students to listen. We know what James says about those being hearers and doers of the word. Let's not just be hearers, but let's be doers. And as we grow in Christ's likeness, we will grow in the grace of sharing and giving. You can't separate the two. From our salvation forward, when we are saved by grace, grace instructs our hearts to be Christ-like in our generosity. And Hughes, in his commentary, makes that even, um, that main verb of the passage really doesn't incur later in this, until later in the sentence, because the action of the verb gave saturates, as we've already said, the whole sentence, and that's why the translators placed the word earlier as well, just to keep, let us know that its main verb influence continues to influence. So Paul, governed by the Spirit as he writes, is really telling the story on how the nature of grace supernaturally develops our hearts and actions and giving and sharing. So let's consider together just the first few of those grace realities that it develops in our hearts and minds as it did the Macedonian believers. He says here, for I testify that according to their ability. Now, the word ability just means means, that according to their means. Now, let's understand how someone in the first century would have heard this sitting in their seats as this letter was read by their pastor. Paul said, people, Corinthians, that the Macedonian believers, and he's been an eyewitness of this and an ear witness of this, so he's testifying that they gave according to their means, and immediately the person in the seat would have had a wedding analogy in their mind. Immediately. They wouldn't have gone to, hey, you know, what did so-and-so write about money? What did so-and-so write about how to do my budget? What did so-and-so? They would have gone to the picture of a wedding ceremony. Because in the first century, when someone got married, the groom in that marriage ceremony was expected to share with the bride all of his being and all of his resources. A wedding was a public commitment of the groom to the bride that all I have is yours. And as of today, there will, no be, there will be no more yours and mine, but everything will be ours. So the commitment of that love to his bride was not based on how much he had or didn't have. Remember, it was an impartial giving of himself. And it was the bride impartially responding back to him, our love is not based on how much you have and how much you didn't have. And for all of you guys getting married this summer, you're saying, whew, I'm glad, glad that's the case. I remember when I got married, I was amazed that my wife was willing to accept all that I had, which was... Nothing, because she had a lot more than I had. 
But that's how they would have heard they gave according to their means. So if the groom's from poverty, all that he had was the bride's. She was saying yes to living in those conditions. If he was from wealth, there was no prenuptial agreement. All he had was the bride's. Within a cultural understanding of giving according to ability, there can be a lot of human emotions. Not many girls want to marry into poverty. And if they marry into wealth, there's often a wonder of motivation for doing so. But in Christ, this paradox is blended. We saw that in the sermon last week. He who was rich, in our own context, for our sakes became poor, that we might become what? Rich! Christ gave to his bride according to his means. And aren't you glad? He gave of himself to his bride unconditionally according to his means. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Folks, this is not first church to sit on your hands. Aren't you glad? Do you understand what he's saying here? Do you understand how the Corinthians are hearing this? What kind of wealth were we given in Christ? Immeasurable wealth. And he did so without a second thought. That's grace. So how much more? What would be our spiritual reflex then? That grace would teach us. No qualifiers. Aren't you glad that God's grace didn't come with exceptions? To its own rule? To its own nature? Aren't you glad God's grace didn't save you 98% of the way? So my friends, there's an attitude, there's a disposition developing here that will will commence to understanding as we look phrase by phrase, but it starts with this groom's ability to put all of his being, his mind, his soul, and his body, and all that he had before this bride is to take me as I am. All I have is yours. And love accepts the offering unconditionally. And this is what Christ has done for us. We studied this in chapter 5, didn't we? For God has made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Macedonians gave according to their ability to set the example of how grace naturally operates in all of our lives. But the grace of God is not done teaching us the relevance of the verb gave in verse 5. You see, in the first century culture, we again have a marital analogy in the next phrase. When a groom gave beyond his means, that was not good. The groom would often get angry with his new bride because he allowed his passion for his new love to give beyond his means and place them in early debt. 
But in a spiritual sense, the Macedonians teach us how grace operates. They were so enraptured by the love of God in Christ that grace had gifted them by faith that they just erupted with giving when they didn't even have something to give. And it wasn't bad. So when Paul says here in verse 3, they gave according to their ability and beyond and beyond. We went from something acceptable and normal and joyful to something that the reader, the listener would have said, whoa, 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 wait. In a wedding ceremony, that wouldn't be a good thing. And Paul's saying, yeah, I know. But in salvation, it is. In salvation, it is. I don't want to say this irreverently, but folks, when you understand the the, the nature of how grace teaches in giving and sharing. The Macedonians didn't need a budget book to teach them how to do a budget, to teach them how to give. Right? I remember when I was going through all my knee surgeries, and especially after my final, I think it was my fifth one on my left knee, the doctor was getting really concerned about nerve damage. And so the first thing they would do in my recovery was always tap that, right? To see, it even does it now. Imagine that. 35 years later, it still, it still moves when I hit that nerve, right? When I hit that nerve, my leg can't help itself but jump. And I'm really thankful for that. That nerve works, right? That's what grace does. Grace is that very slender nerve of God that constantly is mentored by the Holy Spirit to teach us to jump in giving and sharing. And it's naturally supernatural, no believer that understands or remembers what it was like the moment they were saved? Did you feel free? Did you feel gifted? Did you feel free? Amen. Released from the bondage, released from the chains? Right. A moment you were gifted. Your heart just wanted to give. And that's what he's saying here. They gave beyond their means. Not such a good thing practically in marriage, but this is how grace operates. When they ran out of ways to be generous to Jerusalem and the church offering, they would not become disappointed. They would always find other ways to make sure the people of God were cared for and the gospel would go forward. Again, grace is the gift that just keeps on giving. And it's always finding ways to be generous to the people of God in the local church and unto their collective gospel mission. Right? Because it's about a goal. It's about a goal. And next week we'll pick up what it means in this dispositional gifting, this dispositional way that grace teaches us to give and to share the phrase of their own accord. It just gets better. Amen. It just gets better. And uh, we'll, next time we're together, uh, we'll study that. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we look forward to further in-depth analysis of this text. But for this morning, we look forward to the gospel and these testimonies. And as the word of God has been shared in fellowship, as it's been shared in song, as it's been shared in preaching, and now in these testimonies, we know that it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And I pray, Lord, it would have its way in our hearts, individually and collectively, as we conclude this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing together. pause for half a moment as the screen comes down but in preparation and prior to uh, baptisms we'll be singing all three verses of here is love so in the next 10 seconds at your leisure go ahead and join us standing here is love
morning again. Great to have you all. Stay with us. Come on in, Randy. This lady has been and will continue to become more and more familiar to all of us. I'll let her give her testimony. Good morning. My name is Andy Lloyd. On March 15th of this year, I became a born-again Christian. Today, I'll be baptized as an affirmation of my salvation and union with Christ. I'm honored to be here and share with you my testimony. Praise God. My original testimony was quite lengthy. I wrote about how I was baptized in the Catholic Church, went to catechism, made my first communion, how my mom was excommunicated because she divorced my dad when I was seven, about how my dad died when I was nine. I wrote about the physical and sexual abuse I experienced as a child and about how I hadn't been to church in 40 years and not knowing God. I wrote about my sins and how something was missing from my life. While all of that happened and had an impact on my life's choices and decisions, that's not why I came to Jesus Christ. I prayed to God that he would guide me in writing this testimony. He did. I came to Christ because of my children, my two adult children, my two adult estranged children, estranged for nearly 20 years. I've beaten myself up every day wondering what I did, why they won't talk to me. I lost all hope, I gave up. Whatever faith I had was gone. I was empty and alone, and I didn't care anymore. At first I thought I probably shouldn't talk about this here, not wanting to publicly disgrace my kids. But after all these years, it's not about them, it's about me. How can I fix what's broken if I don't know what's broken? I apologize many times. Line of communication is non-existent. I pray that my kids are happy, healthy, and safe, and I also pray that they will find Jesus and open their hearts to receive God's gift of grace. My daughter is 44. She's married and has no children. My son is 41. He's also married. He has three children. The oldest is probably nine. I have two young grandsons and a young granddaughter whom I've never met, whom I've never held, whom I've never hugged, whom I've never kissed, whom I've never said, I love you too. How could God do this to me? My heart was heavy, my heart was beaten, my heart was broken, and my heart cried out for hope. I met Rose about nine years ago and she was a cardiac nurse caring for my husband, Bob, during daily treatments. We became friends, really great friends. Occasionally, we'd go out to breakfast with Rose. She would talk about God, church, and her spiritual life and encourage both Bob and I to explore the Bible. I was confused and ignorant. I was embarrassed that I didn't know God or much about him. Yet, the seed was planted. And you know what? God did that. One day this past February, Bob and I came home from errands. We sat in the car in our driveway and talked. I said to him, I've been thinking about Rose's, what Rose has been saying. I looked at him. I patted my chest, and I said, you know, Bob, got to be more in my life. There's got to be more. And at that moment, I knew things were about to happen. Things were about to change. And things were about to get better. And you know what? God did that. I was quite young when Bob and I got married. I was just 18. He was 29. Both families were concerned about the age difference. But we were in love and determined to make it work. Many ups and downs over the years. In September, we'll be married 45 years. I love you, Bob, with all that I have, for better or worse, and everything in between. I so appreciate your patience and all you do to encourage me. I will always be with you and always be there for you. And you know what? God did that. 
And Bob, I pray you too will open your heart to salvation and feel the wonderful gift of his grace. In early March, I watched church live stream. I have to admit, I wasn't drawn in. Sorry, Pastor Tim. <laughs> I was lost and confused. It's proof we're not an attractional model church. <laughs> I, was, I was lost and confused, but I knew I had to keep trying. I watched again the following week. Still lost and still confused. <laughs> well, Rose told me about Sharon, that she wanted to meet me. I knew why. Rose and I met with Sharon at Sharon's home in that infamous back room. Sharon is truly a gift to everyone she touches, and I love her so much. Sharon and I got to know each other a little bit. We talked about God, church, and the Bible. She asked me if I wanted to be saved, and I said yes. She prayed openly for me while I silently confessed my sins to Jesus Christ and welcomed him as my Savior. Amen. He forgave me, and I was born again. He touched me. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, for me, for my sins. On March 15th, that seed was watered, that seed sprouted. And you know what? God did that. I didn't feel any different right away, so I kind of questioned, was I really saved? Well, the next day I knew the heaviness and darkness that was held captive in my heart for years was gone. I have a new heart. I feel whole again. I'm a better person, having a new perspective, a new path. I'm at peace. I'm getting to know and love God more and more, and my relationship with him deepens every day. I know he'll be with me always, and I with him. I'm humbled. I'm grateful. His gift of grace is amazing. And I went to church for the first time in 40 years. This is where I need to be. This is where I want to be. And Pastor Tim, I'm beginning to understand. <laughs> you know what? God did that. <laughs> I'm forever grateful for Rose. My dear friend and beloved sister in Christ who planted that seed, I'm so glad you did. You've taken me under your wing, taking me to church with you in Bible study classes every week. As my disciple, you're always here for me, inspiring my heart every day, answering all my questions. I love you so much. I thank God you're helping me move forward in my spiritual journey. The seed is growing, and it continues to be nurtured. And you know what? God did that. Still haven't heard from my kids, and it still hurts. I love them unconditionally. Every day is a blessing. I still struggle. But now I have the Holy Spirit inside, and God is right here when I need him. I find comfort in Jesus. I have hope, and right now that's what I need, hope. And you know what? God did that. God rose, right? Amen. Yeah. God did that. God did that. You ready? Are we ready? All right, I'm ready. Andy, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to obey him in baptism, I'm proud to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son. Come on up, Sophie.
See why I don't mind stopping preaching about 15, 20 minutes early? Amen. I, I need to get preached to as well. You know? Anyways, God does this. <laughs> Come on in. Yeah. Hello, my friend. Hello. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. This is Sophie. Did I get that right? Yes. The first few times I didn't. It was Sophia for a little while. It was Sophia for a little while, but it's really Sophie. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All Thanks right. for being here. Share your testimony. Thank you. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, for you, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sophie Fordyce. Uh, I wanted to start this out by saying I'm beyond blessed with the wisdom of the Lord to have finally made my choice to stand up here today and proclaim the Lord as my Savior to all of you. I was raised in a home where one of my parents was raised strictly Catholic and the other was Protestant. My parents believed in God, and growing up they told me who God was and left me my own devices. With that freedom, I attended many different churches and invest investigated the basis of many different religions. For a short time in my life, I was attending the weekly Wednesday youth group at a Christian church with one of my best friends. That same summer, I spent a week at Bible camp and felt the Lord pulling me closer. Every night we attended worship, which was followed by a sermon. I would always leave crying and feeling so lost, yet so loved, and I was not sure why. Because of my confusion, I turned away from the Lord and tried to fill, my, fill the void of sadness with, the worldly, with worldly actions. As I continued to grow, I started facing issues that many young girls do. I had no self-confidence. I did not like, look the way like the girls who everyone loved. I was not smart enough, and I was never going to be enough. I let boys take advantage of me, and I started to do the least amount of work I needed to do to get by in school. I did get by, to say the least, but then came my second semester of freshman year of college. I spent days in bed, no showering, no eating, no socializing, and I was always sleeping. I lied to everybody around me that I was okay and that I was just studying. Then I realized I hadn't been to any of my classes and I needed to withdraw from the semester. I took a semester off and could have not felt more lost in my life. I was then diagnosed with manic depression and started attending therapy and got, my, got on my medication. I then entered my season of numbness. I decided I needed to try to go to college further away from home and try to make myself more independent from my parents. I did this and met some of my best friends and I was doing okay and I was feeling okay. But after a year and a half, I felt a draw to come home and that I did. Soon after returning to Cle the Cleveland area, I saw a post from this guy that I always adored in high school, AKA my now husband, Ryan Fordyce. <laughs> I messaged him and he asked me on a date to his place where he made me dinner. The first night I made sure to tell him I did not know how I felt about God or religion. And he said, you know, that's okay. My family's Christian and before my parents moved to Texas, we used to always go to church at Grace Church of Menor. They're actually moving back soon. Maybe sometime we can go with them. For some reason, then and there, my heart was opened. Soon after, I started attending church on a weekly basis where I met some of the most loving and understanding people. I met Pastor Tim, who was saddened by the fact he couldn't hug his church family because of COVID. I went to services where everything that was preached came straight from the Bible. I felt like I was home. I felt like I needed to learn who the Lord was and why he brought me here. Ryan and I started our discipleship with his parents and we started going over the foundations. I had like so many questions and Jason and Kelly had a piece of scripture to turn to to answer every single one of those questions. Kelly and I were driving home from an event one day 
and we had a conversation about salvation. And within the hour, I professed Christ as my Savior, and my life changed. I was no longer numb. Every feeling in the world rushed over me. As I prayed for guidance to write out my testimony, I reflected on two Bible verses. The first one is 1 John 1.1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This verse reminded me to look at the work God has done in my life. He alone carried me through and allowed me to stand here today. He has worked in my life and has showed me that I am a broken sinner, yet I am enough for him. That every choice and obstacle I have faced thus far in life was placed there by him to bring me closer to him. He gave his only son to walk on this earth and to endure the worst death any person could ever imagine so that my sin could be forgiven. What is this love? This is a love that I will never fully be fully capable of understanding. The second verse I reflected on was Revelation 12, 10 through 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night have been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. This verse, says, this verse reminds me that my testimony can be a reminder to me and to others that God is my God and that my past sins no longer define me. It reminds me that God has rescued me and accepted me as his child even with my sin. I find it interesting that the word testimony comes from the Greek word meaning witness. Let me in my life be a witness to the work of, that the work God can do. I am but a baby in my journey of living a Christ-like life. I find myself surrounded by the most loving, Christ-like believers. You are all my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And through the word of God and the help of my brothers and sisters, I strive to grow and become more Christ-like. I'm not religious. I'm Christian. I'm a child of God. I was woven together in my, in, by the Lord in my, mom, my mother's womb. I'm perfectly imperfect, and Jesus is my Savior. We can all say God did that. God did that. Amen. So many things I want to say. I'm out of time. So let's baptize you. Okay. All right. One hand over, one hand under. There you go. Sophie. I got it right. Yes. All right. Good. Wow. Find your desire to obey the Lord in baptism and identify with his body who's in Christ. I'm proud to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. all stand together and be dismissed with a word of prayer. I'd like to just pray for Andy and her family. Pray for God's protection on Sophie as we close. Father in heaven, we love you forever. 
worshiping you for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for allowing us to be ear witness and eyewitness of how your miraculous grace has transformed yet another two lives. We worship you for that. We lift up to you, Lord, Andy and her family. Lord, may she know the riches of spiritual family within her biological family as she realizes them here. May they know the mercy and the patience and the grace of God in Christ. And Lord, use her testimony as lived out in her transformed lifestyle to be the light of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for using Rose in such a timely way in Andy's life. We lift up Sophie, Lord, that her light would be the same to those around her who need the Lord Jesus, the light of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would spiritually and physically protect her. Allow her, Lord, to see spiritual fruit in her own life, not only in personal growth, but also in being able to lead others to Christ. We pray for Kelly as she disciples her. You'd spiritually and physically protect her, Jason, Ryan, her husband. Lord, we, I just need to stand for a moment and reflect before you and how much you really want to use all of us like you've used Rose and Kelly in this situation. Lord, would you be pleased to do that for me? Would you be pleased to do that for each of us? As we live together unto the cause of our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. amen. You are dismissed. We love you all. See you at 6 o'clock.